Welcome to Section Hiking the Appalachian Trail. I am your host, John Eskelson, and I'm grateful you've taken the time to listen to this podcast today. For those who want to see pictures from these adventures, please check us out on Instagram. You can find me at Section Hiking the Appalachian Trail at uh, section underscore hiking underscore the underscore AT and on Twitter at Eskelson John which is E-S-K-E-L-S-E-N-J-O-N. If you have any comments or questions you'd like to share, please share your thoughts with me as well. I look forward to hearing them. Now on with the show. So before we get started, did you ever go back and listen to or read something that you haven't read or listened to for a while? I recently did that with Radiohead's album In Rainbows and forgotten how simply wonderful that album is. Talk about... uh, a song with uh, an album with hit after hit after hit. Of course, this reveals more about me probably than it does about anyone who's listening to this and has nothing to do with backpacking. So this is the fifth episode that we're doing of my hike uh, in the October 2020 along the Appalachian Trail through the 115 miles of Shenandoah National Park. And today what this episode is going to be about is talking about going from Big Meadows down to Swift Gap. Um, and what we'll do after that is, uh, we're going to actually summarize the last four days for reasons that we'll talk about uh, when we get there. Um, but I, I just would have been remiss if I didn't spend one episode talking about this beautiful section of the park in the central part of Shenandoah. In the previous Shenandoah episode, we talked about the hike from Bird Hut number three to Skyland Ranch and then on to Big Meadows. Uh, to the, so... This was the epitome of a beautiful October day. Um, It was quiet. I spent a lot of time by myself, something that was important, uh, had an important impact on the next uh, several miles. Um, It was warm. It was sunny. It was great. So, as I mentioned uh, in the previous Shenandoah episode that from last year, I went to Big Meadows, I set up camp, I was sorting out all my gear, particularly my food, and I had dinner with a nice couple who camped next to my site, who had taken pity on me. They had a friend who had been a uh, through hiker. I told them I was merely a section hiker, but they said, big deal, come and hang out with us, and we talked and talked and talked. It was great. I greatly appreciated their kindness, and not only did they offer me food at dinner, but they also offered me food at breakfast. So I think I didn't get on till like, nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we ate omelets and it was, it was just nice. So the sun was shining again and it was ge- geared up to be another pretty day. I said good- my goodbyes and head- headed back out in the trail. Um, there's a slight side trail around mile marker uh, 925.3, which is the distance between Springer Mountain and where I am. And I'm, for those who need to remember, I'm heading southbound towards Georgia on this trip. Um, it takes you on a side, uh, a side trail back to the main Appalachian Trail. And uh, it takes you out of Big Meadows um, back onto the Appalachian Trail. So the night before, I'd come in through the northern part, uh, through, through a little side trail from the northern part of uh, the campsite, and then I left on the southern side. From there, I began heading south again, and in less than a quarter mile, found a dispersed camping spot just outside of the campgrounds on the western side of the trail, which is pretty convenient because 
if you're someone who's harboring your resources uh, while you're hiking the Appalachian Trail, you can receive the benefits of being proximate to a campground without having to pay for a spot. Two thirds of a mile later, uh, we came across a lovely lookout um, called Tanner's Ridge Overlook. I don't know who Tanner's are, but there's a lot of things named after them in this section of the park. The overlook is northwest uh, to the northwest from an elevation of 34 or something hundred feet. Um, the view is a big feel and it looks out onto the Shenandoah Valley further on below with the city of, uh, or the town, I guess, of Stanley down below. It's located in the center of Page County and uh, Stanley is a small town that began in the 1800s, 1880s, when the railroad came to town. So I kept, after that uh, lovely view, I kept going on for about a mile and a quarter, steadily downhill. It appears that uh, in this portion of the park, there's an occasional dispersed camping spot, but uh, the trail then flattened out. Um, after a little bit of elevation declination, I ran into an older couple coming up the trail. I stepped aside. For some reason, in my notes, I emphasized that I stepped aside, left them past. Uh, it's one of the old rules I learned from my days of scouting, that when you're heading down a trail and someone is heading up the hill, you stand by and let them pass. At just about mile marker 924, I came across a cemetery. It was the oddest thing. You break out into an, a clearing and then there's a small road and there's just a bunch of grave sites off on your right-hand side. It's called Tanner's Ridge Cemetery. Again, the Tanner family, apparently. Uh, it turns out that there are 53 cemeteries. Uh, some of them are merely individual plots throughout the Shenandoah National Park. One of the things I didn't know that I've mentioned uh, I don't know if I've mentioned it uh, before, but the park was authorized to become a national park in 1926 by Congress. Uh, however, unlike some of our other national parks further west, uh, this, this land was already settled and had been uh, since the 1750s. The settlers who lived in uh, Appalachian Forest area had been farmers or, or raised animals that they then sold. Wealthy Victorian-aged uh, well-to-do people also had resort, resorts up in uh, Shenandoah Park as well. For instance, the Skyland Ranch was a uh, pretty, pretty posh place, apparently, that people went to back in the day. Based on a little history I've read, which, like I said, it's limited, there was a blight in the 1910s that wiped out, wiped out about 30 to 40 percent of the chestnut trees in Appalachia. And so this still... The chestnut tree was a central economic way of life for many people who lived up there. Um, not only did mountain families collect, collect up and package chestnuts to the cities, um, but the chestnut tree itself was frequently used for a number of different purposes like fence posts, railroad ties, roof shingles, and other types of lumber. So when uh, a big chunk of those trees died, uh, much of the economic opportunities for the people who lived there uh, went up with it. For my perhaps overly political eye, that it made it easier in 1927 for Virginia uh, authorities to authorize the condemnation of all private property within the boundaries of the new park, and moving, uh, moving or sorry, condemning 4,000 tracts of land that they surveyed, with about 1,100 purchased by the federal government. Virginia helped resettle about 465 families. Uh, 
uh, who became uprooted by the creation of Shenandoah National Park and evicted the rest of them. Interestingly, about 45 old people or elderly residents, as I, sh I should probably be more respectful, were, were allowed to live out their last few years in their homes. What this means is that there were a lot of people who had died up in these parts. I can't say that the Tainer Ridge Cemetery is one of the, the largest of these plots. I don't think it was, but there were 50. Uh, there are approximately 50 there. And uh, when I looked at the area, there seemed to be, um, you know, new people buried on a periodic basis. I mean, there were some relatively recent plots that were, or burial sites that were, that were used there. So I crossed the road and kept heading towards Skyline Drive to Milan Gap, which is another mile down the road at mile marker 923.6. On the way there, I crossed a solid stream about a half mile before the gap. Uh, on the way, uh, there were a few dispersed campsites that could do in a pinch, although they didn't look ideal. Milan's Gap is at Skyline uh, Drive mile marker 52.4. Uh, not only is this a crossing point for the Appalachian Trail, but it's also where you can take off to do the Rapidan uh, Camp Hike, which is a four-mile round-trip hike that takes you ultimately to Rapidan Camp, which was President Herbert Hoover's summer White House. Uh, he was the president after Coolidge in the late 20s, just before the, or I guess during, uh, where the Great Depression kicked off under his uh, uh, leadership. Uh, Shenandoah Park uh, refers to this hike as moderate. But anyway, you cross Skyline Drive and you head up over ha Hazeltop Mountain, uh, which is mile marker 921.7, uh, heading south to Booten's Gap at, at mile marker 920.3. There is some great dispersed campsites on the north side of Hazeltop Mountain uh, near the top, uh, just before you get to Booten's Gap. About half a mile further down the road, there's a marker for additional trails that you'll that will take you to the Rapidan camp as well. You keep walking along the trail past Bush Mountain and the Bareface Mountain Hut. Sorry, the Bear Fence Mountain Hut, uh, which is at mount, mile marker ninety eighteen point two. Uh, and while there's some spots along the way to stay if you if you need to backpack, uh, the next notable location is Lewis Mountain Camping. Uh, campsite at mile marker 917.5. So there's a, I would note that there's a sign, there's signage out there that says there's no camping for about a half a mile before and after this camp. The camp is relatively small, especially when compared to the much larger Big Meadows, Skyland Ranch, and Matthews Arms. But it's a delightful location um, with both campsites and cabins that can be rented. I was really curious about the history of this park and why it was uh, located where it was, and I've come to find out that this campground is an example of the absurdity of the U.S. government's segregationist policies prior to, uh, you know, the desegregation that formally happened in the 1940, late 1940s and 50s, and later on during the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Uh, I decided to dig into it just because, out of curiosity, um, and what follows is a very general look at the history of of how this kind of came about and impacted a place like Shenandoah National Park. Uh, I know this is not designed to be a, a treatise or anything like that, and I'm not an expert. So while there might be some accuracies, it is at minimum, uh, you know, true. Um, 
So for those who aren't familiar or not have never been really interested, uh, following the Civil War, uh, Congress and the President and the states uh, ratified the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments that in sum eliminated save slavery and involuntary servitude and protected and was designed were designed to design the political rights of free black people uh, in the United States. Civil rights laws were passed and put in place at the federal level. Uh, these laws were never rescinded, but were effectively gutted in practice for several reasons, including the failure of local jurisdictions to follow them, the failure of the federal government to really enforce them. And in some cases, such as under President Woodrow Wilson's uh, presidency in 1913, exacerbated the uh, racism in our country uh, because he was a racist. And because the U.S. Supreme Court created a constitutional standard that undermined their efficacy. Perhaps the most uh, famous of those cases was Plessy v. Ferguson, who established a legal doctrine uh, of separate but equal, which is important for Shenandoah National Park. And then separate but equal formally stayed in place as a constitutional law until later cases, most notably in the educational context anyway, uh, was the holding of Brown versus Board of Education, which held that separate couldn't be equal, but I digress. Um, so Shenandoah National Park was authorized by Congress in 1926. And then during the first Roosevelt administration in 1933, uh, the Department of Interior was making preparations for the incorporation and the starting of the park. Um, and that took several years to, to do. The decision by the park leadership was to utilize a Virginia company to develop and run concessions throughout Shenandoah National Park. Virginia being what it was, uh, the, the company made very uh, several camps that were for the exclusionary purpose of whites. Now, there's a longer version of the story, and I'll link uh, some of the documents and some brief histories that are on the uh, National Park's website. Uh, in the show notes, but the short version is that the solicitor of the Department of Interior, who is the agency's general counsel, insisted that the concession services provided to black Americans were equal to that of whites. The result of that effort was that in 1939, Lewis Mountain Campground was established as a quote-unquote Negro campground. It consisted of a lodge with a dining room, individual cabins, and a campground where tents and campers could be set up. I hadn't been able to find out the name of who the solicitor was um, in my research, but I admire his continued efforts uh, ensuring the constitute standard was met, that if you're going to have separate facilities in the park, they had to be equal. Uh, if the signage that I saw at the campground was right, the dining hall was a very popular place to spend time and eat and uh, have a good, I guess I already said, have a good time, and that it was indeed popular to both blacks and whites alike. Despite the success, there was continued pushback by the concessionaire uh, at integrating uh, the park. Following World War II, there had been an executive order made uh, requiring full integration of our national park systems. And while some compliance was made, it wasn't until the chairman of the concessionaire was somehow uh, or somehow left the company in 1947 before full integration of Shenandoah National Park was made, becoming at least a formal reality in 1950. Even after the park was officially desegregated, Lewis Mountain served as the de facto campground for African-American visitors throughout the 1950s. And uh, while African-Americans uh, received, you know, still didn't, hadn't received their full rights um, until the, at least, you know, formally the 1960s, uh, Lewis Mountain Campground was a refuge. Today, Lewis Mountain Park is, remains a gem. 
of a camping location, and the amenities are fantastic. Unlike uh, the shower prices up at Big Meadows, showers at uh, at Lewis are only a dollar. Uh, it's only fifteen dollars a night to camp in the park, and there are, there's a very well stocked camping store. Honestly, when I go back and car camp in the park, this is one of the places where I'm going to want to stay. Going past uh, Lewis Mountain Campground uh, on the trail, uh, the next thing you see is a big stream at mile marker 915.8. Uh, uh, there's shortly thereafter a turnoff at the Pocosin Hut, um, which is about three-tenths of a mile uh, away. And uh, that looked like it might be a good place to stop. But, you know, the hut... The hut was locked up, and there was only a, like a wet muddy patch for a stream. So, you know, given the time of day uh, that the sun was still up and it felt early, I kept going. Shortly thereafter, I ran into three DC people on the trail who were hiking. And for those who are listening to this who are familiar with DC people, you'll know what I mean. I can't remember exactly what my interaction with was with them over the distance of time, but my notes indicate that they were nincompoops. I vaguely remember them being at know-it-alls who thought my goal to get close to and camp at Swift Gap was foolish because there wasn't a, an official hut uh, between uh, before I got to the Gap. Uh, they definitely were not close to any definition of cool, and by cool I mean they were not the kind of people that I would have been persuaded to leave the trail and hang out with for an afternoon and an evening. Needless to say, we moved past each other and I continued down the trail. I continued on and noted that there are several places that could have been used as camp spots along the trail. At mile marker 913.7, it tells you that you're a mile and a half to the South River picnic location. That location, when I got there at uh, mile marker 912, um, it's a really nice park, a uh, really nice picnic area. Uh, you can spend time chilling, eating, get, getting water, and resting. But as it was late in the day and I needed to get to my camping location for the night, um, I decided to press on and noticed a few camping spots that would work in a pinch near the camping area, near, sorry, near the picnic area, but I don't think you're allowed to camp there. But I ended up going to a, finding a dispersed camping spot around mile marker 910, uh, just before you make a significant descent into the Swift Gap entrance, and there I stopped for the night. I thought about hanging out by myself for a night, and it was fine. It really was a fine night. Nothing exciting happened. Um, but I really had a good time hanging out with people. I, you know, if you haven't may or may not have noticed through these things, I'm kind of an extrovert, but both, uh, the two previous nights at bird nest number three and at big meadows, I really had a good time talking with people and getting to know people. It was lovely. And I really enjoy being around people. So I was looking forward to the next day when I was going to be joining up with my friend, Chris from North Carolina who's going to hike with me the last 40 miles of the trip. More on the remainder of this trip in a future episode. So before, before I close, uh, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Um, I mentioned in the previous episode to this one, uh, talking about what's going to happen in 2022, that a group of friends and I are going to go hike Georgia in May. So a friend of mine and I have been toying around with uh, a potential schedule. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, prepare uh, prepare an episode 
where we walk through the planning process uh, for the Georgia hike. And then after that, I'm going to do the, uh, the final episode on Shenandoah. So I'll be all caught up on Shenandoah. And then after that, uh, we'll see, we'll see where we go next, but I have several, um, episodes I know I plan to do. And then starting in March, hopefully Alex and I and whoever else we can get to go with us, will start, uh, pounding out, uh, 20 to 30 mile increments of uh, Pennsylvania as we as we try to meet our goal this year of uh, finishing up Pennsylvania and doing the state of Georgia. Thank you for listening to this episode of Section Hiking the Appalachian Trail. I'm glad you took time to listen uh, and learn more about the trail and the adventures that me and my friends have along it. If you'd like, please subscribe to this podcast to hear more of the adventures we have as we go along and section hike the Appalachian Trail. Also, feel free to leave a review and give us a rating. We welcome your feedback. Finally, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at sectionhikingthead or follow me on Twitter at EskelsonJohn. Until next time, happy trails.